Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Programme works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programmes focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues, while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the Global Brain Health Institute Annual Conference, where I caught up with a number of Atlantic Fellows. Today, I'm joined by Mircea Balassa, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity in Brain Health. Mircea is a cognitive neurologist at the Hospital Clinic of Barcelona. His work involves visiting patients with suspected neurodegenerative dementia. I began by asking him what the procedure was in Spain for somebody who might be experiencing cognitive impairment. The way it works in a public healthcare system like the Spanish one, it's probably like most of its European counterparts. All the referral process to a specialized level is filtered by the primary care level, by the general practitioners. The patient, the family, the GP or the community nurse may have a suspicion that that subject is undergoing a cognitive decline. They may do some kind of cognitive screening test at the primary care level and they will refer it to a specialized unit for evaluation. This specialized unit in Spain is, in most of the cases, a neurologist or a geriatrician. I receive the referral by the GP, which is a letter, and then I'm evaluating the patient. We are doing the workup, which includes a clinical evaluation and a psychological test, and maybe neuroimaging, and then I get to have a follow-up visit with the patient, giving them my input on what I think about what's happening with him. If a patient receives a diagnosis of dementia, what's the next step? That depends on the disclosure visit. I'm already evaluating the first visit what kind of family support or community support these patients have. Mm-hmm. Generally, you talk of different level of support. You don't have the support by the primary physician, mm-hmm. which is probably able to do more visits. Also on a care level, I'm doing follow-up of their patients. We also promote engagement in community activities from the moment of diagnosis. So there's a part in my disclosure visit that is dedicated to how can you engage in non-pharmacological treatment for cognitive impairment? Why should you engage in activities that are designed to boost your brain capacity and to at least slow the speed of cognitive decline? And what it has been called in other countries social prescription. And probably in Spain, we are fortunate because, especially in a big city like Barcelona, you have many alternatives for social prescription. So you have people that can do a wide range of activities so you can tailor this kind of social prescription based in prior interests. Most difficult is convincing the patient that this is meaningful and useful for him to engage. What sparked your interest in neurology and dementia in particular? One of my mentors during the residency. She's a neurologist. She works with patients with dementia. She made me see the challenge of neurodegenerative dementia, the challenges that we still have ahead of us in terms of diagnosis, in terms of access to a good diagnosis that is still uh, in many parts. You were part of the first cohort of... I was part of the first class of the Global Brain Health Institute of Atlantic Fellows in fall 2016 in Trinity College, Dublin. Uh What was that experience like? How did it contribute or inform your work? I think the great value for me of this experience was, one, getting to meet many different ways of thinking and approaching a problem 
which was unusual for me because I was not exposed to this prior because I lived in a purely medical environment in a university hospital. I never got out of the university hospital during my training as a neurologist. So it's very difficult to think differently if you're not exposed to different way of thinking. The second is to be able to grow as a clinician and grow as a person by being exposed to different way of thinking and to active mentorship by very highly trained professionals in their respective fields. This will make you a better researcher, a better clinician probably, and you'll help you in the future by increasing your capacity to collaborate. It's also about leadership. Do you see yourself, regard yourself as a leader in your field? I'm compelled to say yes. Although I don't believe in very strong leadership, I always think that we must collaborate in order to be successful. I don't think someone has all the answers. Only by collaborating we're stronger. That what differentiated for many other animal species is not our individual qualities, but what we can do together as a society. CPHI are tackling one of the significant problems of today's dementia community, which is the lack of large-scale collaborative efforts. Do you think that that has changed even in the few years since you were... It changed for me, for instance. I'm engaged in far more collaborative work in the past two years than in the last decade. I have been working as a neurologist, so... Is you, that you collaboration kind of, just in Barcelona or is it beyond no, your country? No, with colleagues, fellows from the GBHI. If you're exposed to different people and you're forced to work with them, you increase your ability to collaborate because you can see the value of working with people that are not doing exactly the same thing you are doing. And this is where GBHA helped me, for instance. What are you working on specifically? Research. One of the parts I'm working on now is a pilot that I was awarded to the GBHI and Alzheimer Association that involves trying to upscale the collaboration between primary care level, represented by GPs and community nurses, and a memory clinic in my hometown in Barcelona, by trying to improve first the collaboration with the memory clinic by the local GPs and upscale their dementia awareness and dementia training. It's a program that tries to provide more dementia information to general practitioners, provide them with more efficient tools to screen patients for cognitive impairment, and provide them with better referral pathways to send the patient to us for an early diagnosis. What does an earlier diagnosis do for someone who's living with dementia? It does many things. First, it acknowledges that the person has a problem. Sometimes, especially in early symptomatic cases, the patient perceives many difficulties and they don't have the language, they don't have the skills to explain themselves. So explain, you're not crazy. This is a disease that's called Alzheimer's disease that affects your brain in this way and that way. And this is why you're experiencing these kind of difficulties. Sometimes it's relief, but it's not only about relief and giving people a diagnosis. People have the right to know what's going on with them. That's why they're going to the GP. Yet with dementia or Alzheimer's, sometimes people almost don't want to know. As we heard today from Dr. Brian Lawler of uh, GBHI at Trinity College Dublin here at this conference in Sao Paulo, there is a tragedy narrative which he and others are working very hard to change. So is there a sense of the tragedy narrative surrounding dementia or Alzheimer's in Spain? Is there a sense think, that it's I a death it, sentence? I think it is, but it's rapidly changing in the sense that People say they don't want to know, but at the same time they say they want to know as soon as possible if my father were affected. So in the end they want to know, but probably they don't want to know so you have Alzheimer's, there's nothing you can do, you'll die. No one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to receive some kind of message with a certain amount of hope in it. So yeah, you have Alzheimer's, but we will do one, two, three, four, five 
this is a steps you are going to do, not to cure it, but to make you feel better. And that so, has an immediate reaction on the patient when you do that? And that has an immediate reaction on the patient because I'm giving the diagnosis and then in the same moment I'm explaining what can we do. And generally you spend a great a lot of time explaining things that you can do and the patient can do and the family can do for improving patient's life, for improving patient memory, for improving patient general well-being. I think it's a very pernicious narrative just because the disease is neurodegenerative, just because we don't have a cure to assume there's nothing we can do. To make a comparison, we don't do this with terminal cancer. We have a cancer that cannot be cured. No one in his right mind will say a patient that is a candidate for palliative care that there's nothing can be done. We don't see that. And the patient is going to die in six months or 12 months. Is that an attitude or an interpretation that has changed in the last few years in Spain? I think it's changing, but we have to fight for it to change. You won't change it by yourself. You'll change it by education, by public exposure, by advocacy, public champions that are going to step up and say, I have dementia, I have Alzheimer's, just like it changed for cancer, for HIV, for any other disease. So, What is the public awareness around dementia in Spain? Is that changing? It's changing because a few public figures that stepped out and said they have Alzheimer's. And now the public is increasingly aware that Progressive mammary problems are not normal, so you should consult a doctor for that. So we are starting to see people in earlier stages of the disease, mainly because they are aware that it's not normal to be forgetful. Not only that, but also have to fight the resistance from within the system, nihilism, therapeutic nihilism, or diagnostic nihilism from within the system that are saying, what's the point to diagnose a disease that you don't have a cure? But it's like any other chronic disease. I'm always saying Alzheimer's is the only disease that's incurable at the moment, or people can afford to say this kind of nihilism and discourses that doesn't happen in HIV, that doesn't happen in cancer, just with dementia. Listening to you speak, it's very clear that you are deeply committed to your mm. work. Where would you like to see dementia awareness treatment for people living with dementia in Spain in, say, 10 years' time? What do you think the climate will be like? I think it will depend whether you have a disease-modifying drug or not. If you have a disease-modifying drug, this will change radically because there will be huge public pressure to reach diagnosis and to reach treatment. Probably the system won't be ready for that, and there's many studies that are pointing in that direction. We don't have capacity, we have to build capacity, we have to find new financial resources in order to provide diagnosis and treatment for the huge amount of people that are going to need it. But waiting for a disease-modifying drug, we have to really fight to implement things that we know they're working for preventing cases of cognitive impairment. And this means fighting reversible causes, fighting risk factors that are known to cause cognitive impairment. So this is where we can succeed. And we are already succeeding because we know that dementia incidence is lowering, at least in the high-income countries, because we are increasingly succeeding in treating vascular risk factors, but we should be more successful in treating social risk factors like loneliness and engagement in old age. At least there's increased awareness in the medical community of the importance of the social prescription, for instance. And I think things will go better 15 years from now, regardless of whether or not we will have a drug that can cure the disease. I'm optimistic, but we need to make the effort to integrate cognitive impairment and dementia in the society as a disease, like any other disease. You may have cancer, you may have epilepsy, or you may have Alzheimer's disease. And there's nothing shameful about this. It's just bad luck. Mircea Balassa, there we leave it. Thank you very much. That was Mircea Balassa, Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. 
For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.